Well, good morning. If you would, uh, take out your Bibles and turn to Colossians chapter 2. And while you do that, I just want to take some time and uh, just introduce myself. Uh, my name is Chris Johnson, as uh, Kevin Seeger said earlier, and uh, I am not Scott Davis. Uh, so that being said, I will try not to keep you guys uh, much past uh, 1230, if that's possible. Uh, but anyway, about three weeks ago, Scott came to me and asked me if uh, I would be willing to preach on June 8th, and uh, I have to say that I'm honored to be here, and I was honored to be asked uh, to, to do so. This has been something that I've been looking forward to uh, for the past three weeks. And uh, when Scott met with me, he said, you know, you'll have the entire time uh, to preach. And I said, Scott, look, I don't know if I can preach an entire hour, to be honest, so I won't try to uh, preach that long. Uh, but anyway, if you would, uh, please stand with me as we read God's Word. I think it's important to acknowledge that uh, we stand because of the authority God's Word has and because uh, we want to respect the Word of God. Uh, so starting in verse 6 of chapter 2, Paul writes, Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him, rooted and built up in Him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. In him also you of the flesh, or you were circumcised with, by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through the faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. And you, who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Let's pray. Dear Father, I thank you for this day, and I just thank you for this chance to be able to just, just open your word, Father. Lord, I just uh, pray that you would open our hearts uh, for the message that you have uh, for us this morning, God. Lord, I pray that you just hide me behind the cross and that it wouldn't be me speaking, but God, it would be you speaking through me. Um, I just pray that you would bless this time and that we would just be able to focus on you, Father. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. You guys can be seated. So just recently, um, I started working out. I know it's a surprise, me working out. Uh, but about a month ago, Kevin Seeger came to me and asked me if I would like to go to the gym with him. And at first, you know, I was kind of hesitant about it because it was at 7.30 in the morning. And uh, for a college student, 7.30 is really early. Uh, so anyway, I decided to go. And again, this is about a month ago. And uh, let me just say, if Kevin Seeger ever asks you to work out, just be prepared for how you're going to feel afterwards. You are not going to feel good. Uh, because after that first day of working out, I can remember I felt like a limp noodle. Um, I was walking to my car kind of like, like this and had to slowly open the door and one leg in after the other. So it, it was not a fun time. Um, but I happened to just join this gym uh, this past week. And uh, the reason I joined it is because it builds a firm foundation um, for my physical self. And I do want to be in shape. Um, so I decided to join the gym, and uh, working out with Kevin Seeger does build a very strong foundation that hopefully I'll be able to continue with um, as I go to school next semester. Um, but one thing I have learned from working out is that there is no easy remedy to being out of shape. You have to work out. If you want to be in shape, you have to put in the time, put in the effort to get into shape. Um, I remember seeing those commercials uh, a, a few years back about um, those little like uh, ab belts you can wear. You know, they, they vibrate for like five minutes, then you take it off, and you can get totally ripped in like thirty or in like five minutes. That's not true. Um, <laughs> it's the proper combination of dieting and exercise, uh, which is something that I'm still working at. Uh, so getting in shape is not easy, uh, but the reason I work out is to build a firm foundation. 
And uh, the reason I say this is because you have to have a firm foundation before you start growing. And that is both physically and spiritually. And uh, you see, many of us have grown up in the church. We've been fortunate enough to grow up in the church. And this is not everyone. I know that not everyone has been able to grow up in the church. Uh, but I have been able to grow up in the church. And I know that a lot of you have grown up in the church. And I feel like here in America, especially in the heart of the Bible Belt, we have been fortunate enough to be surrounded by churches. I mean, think about it. There's literally a church on every corner. And, uh, you know, while, while that's been taken advantage of, the point is that many of us have grown up knowing where we would be on Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night. We're going to be at church. Uh, most of us have even grown up uh, knowing of Christ and even accepted him at an early age. I know I accepted Christ when I was nine years old. And then we have been poured into our uh, peers and our pastors and invested in by those around us. And uh, we even have that one person that we would call a mentor. The point is that those of us who, who have accepted Christ at an early age and have grown up in the church have a strong foundation. A lot of us have a strong foundation. I know going uh, through the Awana program and then into youth and then uh, working with Kevin Seeger that I really do have a strong foundation in the faith because of those around me who have invested in me. And uh, Paul here in Colossians is encouraging the Christians uh, to stay true to the faith that they learn because there's a false doctrine that is attacking uh, the region of Asia Minor, which is where Colossae was located, and uh, Galatia because they're next-door neighbors. Uh, but anyway, as I said, they're being attacked by this false gospel, and uh, scholars really aren't sure what type of gospel it was. Uh, from the research I have done, the gospel that, or the false gospel that was being proclaimed looks to be like a works-based salvation uh, type deal, meaning that, yes, you need Jesus, but if you follow this rule, and if you follow that rule, and do this and do that, then you're going to have, uh, you're, you're going to be able to go to the kingdom of heaven. Um, so there were a lot of people flocking to this gospel. I'm not sure why. Um, I had to ask myself, you know, why are people moving to this gospel? You know, why is this a concern? Um, and I started to think that, you know, if this is a works-based salvation, I'm guessing that the people who are flocking to this gospel uh, thought that they had some say in their salvation. Because since we are a prideful people and we try to, to work and we try to earn our own stuff, uh, we like to think of ourselves as earning our salvation. So we start to work at it and we think that if we do this and do that, then we'll be able to earn our salvation, which simply isn't true. Uh, but I'm sure that uh, people who have gone to these type of uh, false gospels have thought, okay, I've got some say in my salvation. So I can work at it and that means I can be better than everyone else at it and that means I can be self-righteous which I think was the biggest problem, that people were getting self-righteous and getting built up, thinking that they had some say in their salvation when they really didn't. And uh, so we have to stay true in our faith that we have learned if we want to avoid falling to these false gospels, which they're very evident in the, especially in America today, there are a ton of false gospels out there that can distract us and that, they, that can take us away from the true faith that we have all learned and have come to know over the years and so I have three points uh, that I'm going to outline that will hopefully make it clear of how to stay true to the faith that we have learned. And as I said, looking around at the American church today, this has never been more evident uh, than now that we're in dire need of believers to stay true to the faith that they have learned. Because we have so many flocking to these different false gospels that we have to have a group that stands firm in the midst of all this uh, abandoning of the original uh, Christian uh, religion that we've come to know. Uh, so in the midst of people ignoring uh, parts of Scripture and manipulating other parts, how we stand firm? Number one, we have, to, we have to walk in Christ. Look at verses 6 and 7 in Colossians. Uh, it says, Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. So to avoid shying away from the gospel that we have learned, we must walk in Christ. And there is no better way to walk in Christ than to read his word. 
We have to read his word daily to walk in Christ. It is a very important time because that is the time that we learn and the time that we spend with God. So our daily quiet times have to be in place. We must be engrossed in his word to learn more about God, spend time with him, and grow in him. And Paul gives us the illustration of being uh, rooted like a tree. Like if you've ever seen a tree, you know the, the web of roots that runs underground is just more than you can really describe because it goes so deep, especially the really tall trees. And he gives the illusion of a house being, or illustration of a house being built, built on a firm foundation to withstand the elements that are being thrown at it. And that is why we have to be rooted in God's word. 2 Timothy 3.16 says, All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. And I did a little uh, background research into uh, the original Greek used here, which I don't really know how to say the phrase breathed out by God in Greek, but those words breathed out by God literally mean that God spoke them. Those are words spoken by God. Those aren't words that men wrote down thinking that, okay, well, this is what I think and this is how it should be. No, these are literally the words of God that have been spoken out. And when we read our Bibles, we are reading the words of God, which also means if we question the authority of Scripture, we are also questioning the authority of God. And I do not want to be in that situation And I'll even be as bold to say that if you expect to live and act like Christ apart from his word and his guidance, you will not succeed. We must be planted in God's word uh, to learn about Christ and to live out the Christian faith that we've been called to live. I think a good illustration of this is from my past semester at college. Um, this past semester, I took a music class, and I've, uh, I, I was very confident going into this class because it's music, and I enjoy music, and it came very easy to me, and uh, throughout the semester, we were learning theory, and then at the end of the semester, instead of taking an exam, uh, we were given a project, a final project, and the project was to create our own song, you know, write it out, use all the theory, and uh, put words to it, and actually play it on the piano, which I, I was really excited to do, and uh, I was actually so excited to do this that I overlooked the most important thing of the project, the directions. And uh, what, what made it even worse is that I did not realize I overlooked the directions until the day the project was due while I was sitting in class right before we turned it in. You see, everyone around me was showing off their pieces of music that I created, and when I saw all of theirs compared to mine, I was like, I am missing a ton of stuff. I am in trouble. Um, so I was there, you know, white as a ghost, uh, sweating, uh, when the professor got up, and instead of him saying, you know, turn in the project now, he said, we're going to extend the deadline to next week. So I was very relieved to have that happen. Uh, But the point is God gave us something much more valuable than a piece of paper with instructions on it. Uh, He gave us his word to come to know him better and to come to be more satisfied in him than anything else. We are given his word to know how to live our lives, to please him, and to glorify God. And you see, a lot of people like to take that and they're like, oh, Christianity is just a list of rules you have to follow. If If you don't do this or if you do this, then you're good. And uh, I think a lot of times we as Christians even force that upon ourselves. We're like, okay, I can't do this, I can't do that, I can't do this, I can't do that. And we try to go out and we try to live this morally excellent life. And we don't really think that, wait a minute, it has to be God transforming my life. Um, I think far too many people who proclaim to be Christians are living by, are trying to conform to a pattern of religion and a list of rules than, rather than be transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit. And then they try to meet up with all those lists of rules, and they realize they come short over and over again. Because if you're trying to follow this impossible list of rules that you cannot meet on your own, you're not going to succeed. And then they just walk away disappointed because they realize they couldn't do it. They couldn't do it. So the point is not about us being able to do anything. It's about what Christ can do through us. Because if you're just following a list of rules, 
it's going to be extremely exhausting. Extremely exhausting. And you are not going to succeed at it, and you're just going to walk away disappointed. And that's not the way it was intended to be. See, it's through the power of Christ that we can overcome anything sinful in our lives, but it's only through Christ that that can happen. It can't be on our own. It has to be through Christ. And you see, he gave us this list of rules not to restrict us from having fun or not to restrict us from, from being with our friends that, that do these things, but he gives us these list of rules so that we can be satisfied in him because he knows how the world works. I mean, he created the world. And when we say, okay, I'm going to follow this rule and that rule and, and, and do this and that, we're saying, you know what, God, I know better than you. I don't need you. That's exactly what, what we're saying when we try to do things on our own instead of letting Christ work through us. So we have to let Christ work through us in order to avoid being uh, led astray by false teaching. Because false teaching is very evident, and um, it, is, it is very prominent in the American culture that, that we're in. Uh, so to stand firm, first we must walk in Christ, and we do so by reading his word and obeying his commands. Uh, second, we, are not to be, or we stand firm by not being persuaded by lofty teaching. Look at verse, look at verse 8. Uh, See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. Stop right there. And when Paul says, let no one take you captive by philosophy, he's talking about both the, uh, the crazy twists to the gospel, but he's also talking about the small twists that are very difficult to notice. And he's actually saying that, you know, pay attention to both of them, but pay more attention to the small twists, because the small twists are going to come up within the church. And then you have people getting led astray, and you got people fighting and doing different things like you have in the book of Galatians. Uh, So he's saying pay attention to the truth of the gospel that you may not be deceived by anyone who's trying to twist it. Because the small twists are the ones we need to watch out for. And I think of things like like the prosperity gospel where preachers are saying, you know what, God wants you to live this happy, healthy life and live a comfortable lifestyle, which is simply not true. You know, I I think of Peter and all the disciples, really. You know, what did Peter do? Did Peter go and buy a house on the Italian coast? No, he he, he was crucified upside down. I think of James, the brother of Jesus. He was thrown off the temple mount, and then when he didn't die, his face was smashed in. Even Paul, look at Paul. He was thrown in jail, he was beaten, he was stoned, and he even spent nights floating on the sea. The gospel of Christ is not living the most comfortable lifestyle that we can afford. Also think of the, the thing I call the you are beautiful gospel, where uh, pastors are telling people, you know, you're beautiful, you're worthy. I just want to say this is uh, mostly seen in women's conferences, so look out. Um, but there's these uh, pastors saying that, you know, you're beautiful, you're worthy, you are worthy of the gospel, you're worthy of Christ dying for you, and that's not true. You're simply not. You are not worthy of what Christ has done for you. It is out of love that Christ died for us and took our sin, and it's through him that we can have eternal life. i got to say that you are not beautiful, and you are not worthy. It is Christ who is worthy, and it is God who gets the glory for that. I also think of the, uh, the American dream because I know in the 1930s it was, it was kind of characterized as this, um, this, this dream to make more of yourself. It was, it was I'm going to do this and then I'm going to get really good at it and then I'm going to excel at it and then everyone else is going to you know, respect me for it and I'm going to make a lot of money. And I feel like the American dream has really influenced the church today. And you know, hear me clearly, clearly on what I'm about to say. I'm not, and I'm not asking you to question your faith or uh, to, to uh, question or doubt doubt your trust in Christ, but I'm asking you to examine your hearts before God. And I want to say, where in Scripture does it say that salvation is walking down an aisle, saying a prayer, signing a card, and then living your life the same way after as you did before? 
Nowhere in Scripture do you find that we are to walk an aisle in order to get salvation, repeat a prayer, shake the preacher's hand, and then sign a card. It's simply not there, and that is not salvation. And I think that we have, we, we've really thrust this so hard that, um, that we kind of have this in our mind that, okay, if I'm going to get saved, I have to go down front, and I have to shake the preacher's hand, and I have to sign a card, and then I have to get baptized. And let me just say, when you do make a true profession of faith, going down front does not revoke your salvation. However, I'm saying that if you go down front during a time of invitation and you view that as salvation, it's simply not true. What salvation is, is accepting Christ, knowing that you are a sinner, knowing that there's nothing you can do, and knowing that it is all Christ who does everything, who saves you. And then you make your public profession of faith, and then you get baptized to identify with Christ. And I know from probably the ages of probably five to nine-ish, I thought that being saved was going down front. I thought that being saved meant talking to the pastor, shaking his hand, and signing a card. And I did not realize that you know, salvation is learning that Christ died for our sin and that in him we can find true life. It was about, uh, as I said, when I, was, I, got, I got saved when I was nine, so it was about that time that I understood really what it meant to be saved. And I think here, especially in America, on top of walking down an aisle, saying a prayer, and signing a card, we've, we've kind of put on top of that that you can, it's okay to live this life of luxury, and it's okay to pursue monetary, or things of monetary value, it's okay to pursue things of this world, and we have not really stressed that we are to live our lives as a sacrifice for God, and to submit to His will, and to abandon everything. Because salvation is not this half-hearted attempt to get out of hell. I know a lot of people at school who think, okay, I walked an aisle, I got my, uh, my get-out-of-hell-free card, and now I can just go and do whatever I want to because, you know, I'm saved after all. And I think that people try to put this, this blanket of comfort around them that they are saved. And I think that we in the church um, have kind of said, okay, that's okay, you know, if you walked an aisle, then you're probably saved uh, kind of mentality that they start to believe it and they think that, okay, I can go out and live however I want to now, which is simply not true. And it needs to be stressed that... That, that's not salvation. That salvation is giving up your right, your everything to God and allowing Christ to transform your life. And notice that you know, all of this has to do with us. It's not God. It is us deciding what salvation is. It's us deciding what we do after salvation. And it's us ultimately deciding you know, if we're saved or not and not God. And we need to let God be the one who decides for salvation, not us. Uh, because I know a, a lot of times Christians like to live their lives in the way that's most convenient to us, which is completely, you know, against the gospel. We are to abandon ourselves. We are to deny everything and follow Christ wholeheartedly. I know that there's a large amount of professing Christians, I know, especially on the campus of UNC Charlotte, um, that I walk with and see every day who are, you know, not living a Christian lifestyle at all, but they yet proclaim to be Christian. And then non-believers look at that, and they say, okay, well, if the Christians are living like that, then I guess I can live like that. And you have this whole web of people saying, you know, I don't, I don't even need Christianity because it's just a bunch of extra rules that I have to follow. And they don't, really think about, uh, they don't really think about what the gospel actually is because they have these Christians going around and presenting this actual false gospel to them. You know, Jesus' commands are clear. Jesus commands us to go. He has created each one of us to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. And I propose that anything less than radical devotion to this purpose is unbiblical Christianity. Jesus says that we have to abandon even our father, our mother, and ourselves to follow him. We have to be willing to put everything behind and follow Christ. And I think a lot of times that, that is not stressed. 
But for some of you, um, this call to follow Christ could be full-time missions. It could be going into the ministry. It could be a doctor. Or it could be a businessman using your business skills to impact others with the gospel for the glory of God. But we cannot, whatever we do, be persuaded by a false gospel that says that we are worthy or that it's okay to live this comfortable lifestyle. It's, it's okay to live your life how you want to when it's really not. That is not what the gospel says. We have to live out our lives in our workplaces proclaiming the name of Christ for the glory of God. So to stand firm, one, we must walk in Christ by being in his word. And two, we must not be persuaded by false teaching. And lastly, we must realize our need for Christ. If you look, uh, starting in verse 9, Paul writes, For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him, who is the head of all rule and authority. In him also you were circumcised with the circumcision made without hands, by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. And you who were dead in your trespasses and uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its, with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. We must realize our need for Christ. And uh, when I was thinking of, of how to illustrate this point, I was thinking of the Andy Griffith Show. I don't know how many of you have watched the Andy Griffith Show, but it was one of my favorite shows growing up. And if you uh, have not watched it, you're really missing out. Uh, but anyway, I, th- I think of an episode uh, where Andy Griffith is pulling into uh, to Gomer Pyle's filling station, and uh, there's smoke coming out the windows because Gomer's asleep, of course, and a fire started inside the filling station. And uh, Andy went in and, you know, woke Gomer up, and Gomer was scared to death, and then Andy put out the fire, which it was like a cigar or something on like some oily rags or something that caught on fire. Uh, But anyway, the point is that Gomer realized that Andy saved his life. And so throughout the rest of the episode, Gomer's trying to repay the debt that he has to Andy. And it's really funny watching Gomer trying to repay the debt because he can't quite get there. He does not quite measure up to what Andy has done for him. And in the end, you know, Andy just gets annoyed and says, you know what, go away, Gomer, you're getting annoying. But while this is a trivial example, um, it does provide an illustration for what Christ has done for us. Because we cannot save ourselves from what we are, which is sinful. And it's certainly not by our own doing or good works that can save us from an eternal hell and separation from Christ. We must recognize that salvation only comes through Jesus Christ and his work on the cross. And salvation is not simply walking down an aisle, saying a prayer, and repeating a prayer and signing a card. Salvation is the realization that you are dead in sin, that you are evil, disobedient, rebellious, unclean, and covered in unrighteousness, and only the blood of Jesus Christ can save you and bring you to life for the glory of God. And then you hold fast to him and you seek him and you want a relationship with him because it's no longer you that's living. You put on your new self in Christ and you throw away your old self because it is no longer you. It is not you, but it's Christ who exists within you. You're a new creation in Christ and the old is gone. And you realize that, and you want more of Christ. And so you pursue him with all that you have. You throw everything away. You submit to the authority of God, and you follow after Christ wholeheartedly. When we realize how desperately we need Christ to reach down and save us, we forget everything else and run to him because we know that nothing else now matters. It has to be Christ living through us and in us. That is salvation. And when we do realize that is when God reveals himself to us, and there's nothing more amazing than that. He's the creator of the universe, and he wants to have a relationship with you, and he loves you. And he sent his son to die for you. And how can you look at that and say, you know what, I don't want that. You know what, I don't want that. I think I want to live my own life my own way. I don't want that. 
And we say to God, we say, God, it, it's okay. You know, you have a plan, but you know what? I'm going to stick to my own plan because I think I know better. And it's sad. It's very sad. Because I know I walk past many people each and every day who are on their way to hell. And what do we do? We sit back. I've sat back. It's time that we stand up and we really act like we're saved because we are in Christ. So my challenge to you today is that you realize your need for Christ and then you go out and you live as you are saved. You realize your need for Christ, you go to him, and then you live your life like you have been saved. And I'm going to ask Kevin Knight to come up as we close, or Kevin Seeger to come up as we close. And uh, I just really want you to examine your hearts before God. And I don't want this to be a time of, you know, you saying, well, I don't know if I really believe, or I don't know if I really do this or that. But I really want you to examine your hearts before God and see if you're living out the call that he has on your life. Thank you guys for listening. Let's pray. Dear God, I thank you for this day, and I just thank you for this, this chance to be able to, to uh, just hear this message that you have for us, God. Uh, Lord, I just pray that we would, um, just we, we would live for you, Father. God, that it would not be about us, it would be about Christ and us. And I thank you for, for all the many blessings that you've given us, God. Lord, I just pray that you would um, just, just help us to go out this week and live life for you, Father. And in Jesus' name I pray, amen.